All right, and welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I started this podcast for several reasons and um, intentions, rather, and I'm going to share them at the beginning of every podcast. So number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural misappropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and lightwashing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. Number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other therapy or other support as needed, draw your own conclusions and be critical thinkers rather than just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and support you. On today's episode, I wanna welcome our guest, uh, Narinjan Karkulsa. Uh, she was born in 1988 in Vancouver, BC to her mother, father, and older sister who are practicing Sikh and Kundalini yoga-oriented family. She took Kundalini yoga teacher training in 2001 and then went to Midi Pitti Academy in India from, for 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, graduating in 2006. Many of us in the Kundalini Yoga community will know her as a singer. She's released her, uh, her first musical uh, album, Aquarian, in 2007, 
made as a mantra music to accompany the kundalini yoga practice of morning Aquarian sadhana. Over the next 13 years, she also released four more spiritually oriented albums specific to kundalini yoga and did several tours and plans to make more music in the future, branching out into broader musical genres, less specific to Sikh or kundalini yoga oriented content. She's married to Siri Amrit Singh, who was also born and raised as a Sikh in the Kundalini Yoga 3HO community. And together they have two sons raising their family in Vancouver. She has recently started an astrology-based life coaching practice out of her home in Vancouver. So I wanna say I'm very excited to connect with you here. Um, we are both obviously born and raised in the Dharma um, in 3HO Kundalini Yoga. Um, but I don't know you, I just know you as someone who was also born in the community and I've listened to your music as a, a practitioner and a, a person who loves morning sadhana and has chanted along with Aquarian sadhana on many a mornings <laughs> with you. So I'm grateful to meet you in this way. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to, to finally like actually meet you too. Because yeah, like, I mean, we've never actually met face to face. We messaged like a little bit on Facebook and stuff, but, um, but yeah, not face to face. And it's, it's so I listened to, um, I listened to your, the, the podcast you did with Hargobind. And um, that was so lovely, because he's a dear friend of mine. And, and, you know, I, he was in my class at Midipiti Academy. And so, um, it was so beautiful to like hear his story, especially because I was there for a lot of it and seeing it from the outside. It was so beautiful to hear him telling it from the inside. And, uh, and I was so impressed with the way you just conducted that whole, that whole interview and, and the way all that went. I was like, oh, Karina Shan's so cool. <laughs> And so, so that was so lovely. And I was really happy when you asked me to do this. I was like, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, how awesome. Thank you. Because, you know, similar to when I, when I spoke with Hargovan, I had never met him and, um, and we didn't have a, a conversation before. It wasn't like a pre. And so you and I haven't either. This is the first time we're really ever talking or meeting. And um, <laughs> that's exciting, you know, um, because you have a whole lens and a whole world that I have, I have no idea about. And I've just only witnessed you like, almost as like the yoga student looking up to my musicians of my kundalini yoga family, you know, and to be really honest, like your music out of all of our music in, in our, in our tradition has touched me in a way that always brought me back to my center and really supported me at really specific times. And it's one of the reasons I love a sadhana practice and things like this. So mm. when you and I dialogued a little bit, was since all of this has broken open. And um, so I guess I wanna start there because that's why we've been interacting at all. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you feel it's important to speak out and share your story at all right now? You mean after everything broke open? Yeah. After the nut was cracked, so to speak? Yes. <laughs> um, well, I think, um, I feel, I mean, I, I love the intro that you gave and I'm really just feeling the importance of, of 
everyone like speaking to their actual experience that they had you know when you open up to what's on the inside you know it's like I think sometimes as human beings we can assume that everybody else is a mind reader or you know it's like it's like oh that must be obvious that I'm feeling this way it must be obvious that I had the experience that I had duh can't you tell it's like no nobody knows it unless you say it <laughs> yes Yes, and yeah, and the importance that your lens is yours, unique to you, and it's important, and your experiences matter. Oh, thanks. You know? Yeah, 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 I do feel that. Thank you for that, and and yeah, it's, it's beautiful to like, um, you know, I, I found, you know, just with my um, astrology, life coaching practice that I just started it's been beautiful just connecting with people because it's really taught me it's connecting with people in that way and hearing from people and hearing about their life and because you know it's like some people that I've worked with it's people that I never that I didn't I kind of known from the outside but never really spoke to and it's like just so moving and amazing to hear from people how they are and what's going on on the inside um because it's just like oh my god wow we really you know the whole is the whole of you know humanity and the whole of everything is is just made is a sum of its parts and if we don't hear from all the parts and we don't hear what's going on inside all the parts then we have no idea what the hell the whole is right <laughs> And we can't heal the whole, right? We have to heal the heal the, part the parts so that yeah. we can support the whole. Totally, I love that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. Um, you know, I don't even know where to begin. I guess I, I want you to bring us back because for me, like I'm so curious. I'm so curious how, like, what's going on for you now, and I want to understand how you got to the now. You know, so before I even ask you about like what's going on, like in your mind now, like, tell us, you know, give the listeners some um, context of you growing up in the community and how you became a recording artist of our community, and you know, and what that means, and then like what the context of your family, like all of that would help. You know. Okay. Yeah, so, okay, so I tend to be a bit of a talker, so I'm gonna like exert effort to like focus, <laughs> <laughs> like stay on track. So I don't like well, off into detail. Well, let, let's start here, is that you, okay. as a recording artist, you've you've done a lot of, of recording uh, specific to Kundalini Yoga and, uh, and our tradition and your family um, specifically has a context within the teachings and the, and the, the um, uh, content creation. And it's like all mm -hmm. of that supports our listeners to really give a context of who you are and then how, um, which lends to, you know, where you're at right now. Um, so, okay. yeah, so born and raised, let's start there. Okay. Born and raised. Um, so yeah, I was born here in Vancouver, BC, where I'm at now. I actually live on the same block as the house I grew up on not in the same house but on the same block so where I am right now is pretty much where it all started <laughs> and um yeah I was um I was born very early I was born like three months premature so my I kind of when I look back at my life like I didn't have much trauma myself 
growing up, you know, I was very protected and, and um, I don't know, I was just very, nothing really crazy ever happened to me. Um, even in India, I was like, oh, I was like, oh that was fun. That, you know, <laughs> nothing, it just happened to be that way that I didn't have any like kind of abusive experiences, particularly um, though I like totally honor and cry with and my heart is like just right with everyone who has and I so much compassion and empathy there I just it I just that was how my life was I didn't have much much traumatic stuff physically traumatic or emotionally not so much as I was growing up I like to think that kind of a lot of my life trauma was focused in my first three months my birth because um, I was born with a, a twin twin sister and but we were both so premature and she passed away like 12 hours after we were born. Yeah, so, um, so you know, it was kind of like birth and death were kind of one experience for me. And it was, I was touch and go when, you know, it was touch and go for me when she, uh, you know, when we were babies, like she passed away and I almost died like many times, just as my life was kind of touch and go there for a while. So, and they also had to do heart surgery on me to like close a valve thing and it was crazy. So it was just like this little baby with this giant scar laying in this like incubator. And so, you know, that's pretty much the epitome of like a traumatic rough entry. Um, <laughs> but um, wow. my parents, yeah. So my parents took beautiful care of me though. Um, they loved me so much and they really did everything they possibly could to give me the best care that they could and they were warriors at the time making sure you know they like touched me like touched my body and kept me get me healthy and gave me enough physical contact and my mom like fought tooth and nail for the doctors to give me her breast milk and because at the time that was like not allowed and so they were they, they even had like a little tape deck you know like an 80s tape deck you know that they stuck into my incubator and would play like mantras for me in the incubator in the incubator and just yeah and like nourished me in like every single way that they knew how and gave me like just so much of their prana their energy their time their love and um so that was that was big and then you know like from there on out i mean it was kind of like <laughs> That was kind of like, it, you know, it kind of was like uphill from there. You know, it was just like everything was great. Like I had a beautiful childhood and raised in Vancouver. And I, it wasn't really an ashram. My house had, the house we lived in had been an ashram earlier on when my sister was young. And there was a lot of, you know, uncomfortable conversations, worthy stuff that happened, you know, you know, but if <laughs> that's her story to tell, you know. But that was, that was before I was born. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us who your parents are and who your sister, like give us the. Oh, sure. Yeah. Context. Yeah. My, my mother is um, Guru Rajkar. She, um, she, um, she's always lived here in Vancouver, but she's been on, a lot, you know, she's, she's a graphic, um, graphic, what do you call it? Not designer, but like graphic, um, she says typesetter, but I feel like that's like an 80s term. <laughs> but um, she's basically done like the, the kind of graphic like design and put putting together of all and like editing and putting together of a lot of the text for like all of the Aquarian teacher manuals. Um, okay. 
um, people, listeners who have, you know, taken teacher training and looked at the manuals, you might see uh, my picture and a lot of them I did a, a lot of kind of demonstration, you know, demonstrating uh, meditations and postures and stuff like that. That was mostly due to my proximity to my mom, like I was there. So, you know, so she's like, you model it. <laughs> and, um, yes. And, uh, I have, huh? I have the books, Kriya books and all sorts of manuals. And I see all sorts of pictures of you and, and all sorts of many people yeah. I know. So yes. Yeah, lots of, lots of different models. Yeah. And like lots of people who lived in Espanola, yeah. you know, yeah. It's just like, oh, look, there's, there's. Your mom was responsible for a lot of the content material yeah. creation of all the Kundalini yoga materials. Yes, that's right. And my dad is a teacher as well. He taught, he, he's like the manager, the general kind of manager at Yoga West here in Vancouver, the Kundalini Yoga Studio here in Vancouver. And he has been for many, many years. And he, he teaches like several times a week. He has for many, 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 many years. He also, um, he's also a music producer. He produced Aquarian, the Sadhana album that I made. So I made it with him, recorded and produced and I recorded it with him and he produced it. And so that was kind of a father-daughter project, that album. It's okay. very sweet. And um, <clears throat> my sister, my sister kind of, she's like, she's kind of been all over the place and done a lot of things. And she teaches Kundalini yoga, you know, but she's, she's a very, very open-minded, very, um, she, you know, I, I wouldn't, it's like, you know, I would say she considers herself a Sikh, I suppose, but she doesn't, she's not like, she doesn't like wear a turban necessarily. She's, and she teaches Kundalini yoga. She's very open with everything. And um, she's a beautiful, beautiful person. Um, and um, her name is Onkar. And she's, uh, how, she's how many years uh, different? Older than me? Like, she's like 14 years older than me. So she's, that makes her like, I guess, like 46 now, I suppose. She went to GNFC. She went to GNFC, yeah. She has her own whole, definitely could have her own, she has her own whole yeah, story I, to talk. But just but, to, uh, just a context. But yeah, yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, she went to GNFC many, many years ago. I think she was like, I don't know, eight or nine or 10, something, she's pretty young. And so she, um, yeah, and then, um, it was beautiful growing. It was not, like I said, my house that I lived in was an ashram when my sister was growing up. But by the time I came around, um, it wasn't an ashram anymore. We have two different fathers, by the way. She had another father. So technically we're half sisters. But by the time my, my mom remarried my dad, it wasn't an ashram anymore in my house. And it was just our family home. And we had a garage out back that served as like, um, you know, the community, a bit of a community hub. The community would sometimes come and do meditations back there and we'd have some Gurdwara ceremonies back there. And so it was like a, a quasi community space sometimes, but yeah. it, it never felt like, it didn't feel like my house was an ashram. Like it was my family home. I felt safe there, protected there, happy there, amazing memories growing up. My mom would like, we would go on trips together to Disneyland and, you know, like all kinds of just, I remember we'd always go to Baisaki in LA, the Baisaki celebration in LA every year. And then that was fun because I get to see my LA friends. And then after we go to Disneyland and it was like, ah, amazing. And, you know, and then, but I, I went to a regular just school, uh, Montessori school um, growing up. 
you know, I, I didn't really, I, I was very connected in with the Indian community here. It's a huge Indian Sikh community here in Vancouver. I'm still reasonably connected with them. Um, but my mom, you know, when I was growing up, she was always going to Surrey. That's kind of like the Indian Sikh hub here. Always going to Surrey, going to Surrey. It's like 45 minute drive from where we live here in, in our neighborhood and always just playing kirtan and just you know teaching a little like sunday school kind of thing to the indian Sikh community i still meet people to this day that are like you know older than that that are like 10 years older than me or around my age oh yeah you go to rajkar your mother oh my god she made such a difference in my life she inspired me she made me feel like i i just love your mom she just did so much for me and i still to this day I've, I've countless i've heard that story so many times oh i remember you when you were just like three years old and she used to take me to kirtans and i would like sit there playing with my toys while she was like chanting and teaching kundalini yoga and um she was a very uh she was very integrated in with the in the kind of global Indian Sikh community. Um, she taught Kundalini Yoga and she was in the Kundalini world, but she was more, more than most uh, 3HO Sikh people. She was very, very integrated in the Indian Sikh community. Interesting. And she was, uh, and so I, I've always been grateful to have grown up in that way that I wasn't, only grown up in this very 3HO specific ashram. I was also exposed to the, the Indian Sikh community. And, and also, you know, I went to just a regular school that I just was, you know, there were, there was like a lot of Chinese kids in my class. And as you know, there's a big Chinese community here in uh, Vancouver. And okay. just, there's like, you know, Middle Eastern kids in my class and just regular, you know, just like, just Caucasian, you know, white Canadian kids and like Japanese and Korean and, and Indian. And, you know, there's just reasonably multicultural, uh, you know, mostly Asian and Canadian, com you know, community here in Vancouver. But I just, I just, it was a very, I felt like it was a very integrated growing up that I had. It felt like it wasn't like my, my only friends were, were Sikh kids or other 3HO kids. Like I just, I, I, I was just, with everybody um, and used to go on lots of play dates and, you know, just go to people's houses and experience their cultures. And so I, I didn't, I didn't feel like, um, like I had a repressed childhood. I was very free and my mom always, my mom and dad just always loved me and supported me to just do what I wanted to do. And, you know, they tried to get me to wear my turban to school. And I always, I had a Rishi nod, of course, you know, and, and I have, I have like this very frizzy Greek hair. So when I was a kid, it was like up in this like giant like Rishi knot with this just like flang of like frizzy like curls. <laughs> I remember my hair was just always messy. Yeah, um, I remember that. I remember my Rishi knot. And then what I had was all the, all the new growth, you know, the new <laughs> growth that was just becoming in that just wouldn't go, wouldn't fit into the Rishi knot yet, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like sticking out and these like awkward, like frizzy bits just yeah. all around your head. Totally. And I never wanted them to, like, I hated combing my hair. It was such a thing and it hurt. And my parents would have to like sit me down in front of like a show that I would like want to watch and be distracted. And I remember 
having to like comb my hair and it was like they were great about it I mean they were very kind and loving about it but it was just the stress fest like when I was little like having to deal with the long hair and um but you know that's kind of that's kind of all of our story with our long hair it's like all as a kid you know and uh but you know, and I always like to be a tomboy and I always wanted to wear like sweatpants and like tie my sweatshirt around my waist. And I remember, I remember kids used to think that I was a boy. I remember that was a thing. And are you a boy or a girl? They'd like ask me because the Rishi not, you know, they, I would dress like a tomboy and the Rishi not is like non-gender specific, right? So they couldn't tell if I was a boy or a girl. And I remember hating that. Like, I'm like, I'm a girl. <laughs> but uh but at, the same, but at the same time I was kind of tomboyish and I was just really in my body and really like loved to climb and play imagination games and like you know it was beautiful and I felt loved and safe with my parents and it was a beautiful childhood beautiful upbringing and um so when it sounds I was, like yeah. what, what I'm hearing is yeah. a couple of things is I, I'm hearing, so you were ra born and raised in Vancouver and, and um, your, your mom was quite, um, I don't know if prominence the right word, but in terms prominent. of- Prominent, oh, totally the right word. Okay, yeah. your mom's prominent in the Kundalini yoga community is, and is integral in, in the interfaith as well, you know, cause she's a musician. And so she's, mm -hmm. you know, she's um, recording herself and, and, and playing herself. Um, mm -hmm but also like you're saying that helping to the content creation of their manuals and that they're distributed through. So is she actually working with KRI and with the actual companies of 3HS? Yes. Can you give us some understanding of that? Cause I don't fully get that yet. Like I know that you're going to school um, like you're going to good Montessori schools, you have access to good quality levels of education because your mom has a level of prominence and relational uh, privilege, if I might add, of, uh, mm -hmm. in relation to the organizations of 3HO Kundalini Yoga. Yes? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, she also, yeah, for sure. And my dad, I mean, in terms of like, financial well-being and stuff like that my dad and your experience um, so I mean that's what I mean about like oh. like I I want to frame that it's okay to have a wonderful childhood and like it's, yes. it doesn't have to be juxtaposed against somebody else's trauma right yeah you're right you're right and I hear that a little bit but it's not in a way I think it's because the conversations have been can be very heavy and dense but it's important mm -hmm. to remember that so much of our communities really added so much value to a child's life in a lot of ways which I'd like mm -hmm. to hear more of like as a mother mm -hmm. you, you had kids within <clears throat> the community and within the, in the lifestyle and mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a child of a prominent family in a 3HO context, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Your parents were essentially the heads of Vancouver. Yeah. They're, they're respectable and successful in their domain and they mm -hmm. run the show in that region yeah. and connect to the head organizations of all the teacher trainings, all mm -hmm. of the maybe gurdwaras maybe music maybe mm -hmm. a bunch and so if you can frame that for us it gives us a sense of why your childhood might have been awesome as you're explaining it is <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, uh, I mean, does that make I mean, sense? You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that. Yeah, that they were they were very prominent, and it, I definitely yeah there was yeah there was a lot of kind of um, it's it might sound kind of weird. I hope it's not misunderstood, but there was a bit of a princess vibe that I grew up with, almost as if my dad were kind of my mom and dad were a, a little bit like the king and queen, and I was like the the Kundalini yoga the Kundalini three H O princess of Vancouver growing up. Okay. <clears throat> and, you know, not in a like, you know, but in a very, you know, real kind of experience of what that would be like with the negative side and the positive side, meaning like, I was just, <clears throat> I was always, always, always fond over, you know, by all the like, Auntie G's, you know, the, the Indian Auntie G's, and oh, look, you're so beautiful, and you're a little turban, and then, you know, the pinching of the cheeks, and like, you know, I would, you know, she'd dress me up in my turban and my bana and take me, you know, to these, um, you know, gurdwaras and everything, and I would just be in my little, like, 3HO princess wear, right, you know, with my beautiful little white dress and my turban, and my mom was sitting on stage, and I'm, I'm the, the, I'm her daughter, you know, and, um, yeah. and so, you know, there's, I was given so, you know, I've been working this with, with this amazing therapist recently, and I'll open up very personally about this because I feel it's valuable. She was like, listen, you, since you were born, you were given like 300% love. <laughs> you have to understand this. She's like, she's like, you lost your sister. Your parents gave you like 200% of their love because you survived, right? And then my mom bring, you know, I'm, I'm raised in this community where they're like these leaders of this community and the community adores on me, right? They're like, oh my God, yes, you're so beautiful. This, and then when I started singing, it was like, oh my God, your voice is so beautiful. Yes, we love you. Yes, come sit up with your mother. Yes, we want to see more of you. Yes, yes, yes. Just so much, so much, so much love, which was actually beautiful because they were, you know, it was me. They were seeing me. I was just being myself, you know, so it was beautiful. There's nothing wrong with it. But I also got used to that level of love and attention, thought that that was normal. <laughs> right. Right. And so there is a bit of a shadow side to growing up thinking that that level of love and attention is what one should expect from the world. Um, because when I go into reality, you know, as I've been descending more into like reality, which is totally my choice. I love it. I'm like, oh, thank God coming into like reality um it there's it's a bit of a process like well it's like when i'm not given like 300 percent, i'm kind of like what am i doing wrong what mm -hmm. am i what's wrong with me oh my god if i'm not giving three given 300 percent of that love and intention what what's wrong i must be doing something wrong i must be ugly oh my god i must be i must be there must be something so wrong with what i'm doing and what i am i gotta Oh God, it, it, I kind of would like turn in on this like shame kind of twisty, like there's something wrong. Mm. And, um, and I kind of have been realizing lately as I've been working with my therapist, like 
it was a beautiful upbringing, so much love, but also, you know, um, it's like when, when actually faced with real interacting and regular real relationships in the sense that people are, don't care to give me 300%, which is totally fine <laughs> as it should be, <laughs> you know, it's like, I then have to come to it and be like, no, like there, it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because everyone's having their own real experience. And, um, you know, I actually, that true intimacy and true connection and true love is actually witnessing that, you know, with no expectation of what, what that means for me or whatever, you know, it's like love is not, is love is not, uh, you know, coming up and being the perfect, you know, golden white princess, you know, and offering the best of what I could possibly offer. And even with my music, like, as you said in the beginning, it's so touching for you, right? It's like, oh, if someone isn't touched by me, that must mean I'm doing something wrong. It's kind right. of a lot of, right. it's like, I shot, I shown and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with shining and, and being seen for that. Great. But also like, like, whoa, like, and also I can be human and that the real love is in, in the witnessing of what's really going on, you know, not the, not the like, only what's enough, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully feel it does. I, I also feel like a part of what you're speaking of is, is a bit what may be like, what, like, like celebrity style, like, what does it mean to come out of like, oh, like, like, did, did this awareness of like that kind of princess energy or that kind of privilege happen because of what happened earlier in, you know, the, uh, this all breaking open in our community? Like, did that start for you then? Well, inklings of it started before then. Like it, it started before the nut broke open, um, but it was more like I was just irritated when I felt like I didn't have a place. Um, like I would get irritated when I would go into Yoga West here in Vancouver, I would get irritated because I wanted to be seen for who I am, not for who everybody else thought I was. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's like for, for the, I, I didn't, I wanted to be just, I wanted to just be authentically me. And I had a couple experiences of really trying to offer, not at Yoga West here in Vancouver, but elsewhere, uh, when I traveled and, and taught a little bit, I'm definitely not going to name names, but just, I had a couple experiences of like rejection of like allowing my authentic self to kind of come forward more, but then being like rejected in that and only wanting this kind of shining version of what they thought I was. And that was painful. And I kind of started getting uncomfortable, um, uncomfortable even with branding and uncomfortable with just like, like, no, I don't want to, I want to be I kept wanting to sink in further into myself, me, myself, me, who I really am, even the uncomfortable parts and the, the painful parts and the parts that aren't, you know, um, up to par with being a Kundalini Yogi or up to par with being a Sikh, like what, what everyone thinks that I should feel, you know, it's like, I'm just like, no, I don't, 
being a Sikh and a Kundalini Yogi was so tied in with my identity and my projection. I was like getting frustrated because I could tell there was something me who was underneath that, but I didn't really know because it was so woven in yes. my whole life with my projection of a and yeah. you have the level of your mother already being a prominent musician and members yes. and and members of the community um and influential in the content right and so yeah. you within that like like what it means to grow up under that too yes right? yes you're right definitely so, so I want to point that out because before, quote, as you're calling it, the nut cracked within our own community, you're already feeling that like as a recording artist, as a being in the world that is like mm -hmm. wanting to stretch beyond like these parameters of what you got as what your identity should look like. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It's helpful for us to hear that that was brewing in you. It was, yes. Prior to it all breaking open. Yeah, it definitely was. It was brewing and it was hard for me because I didn't know exactly what was brewing or why it was brewing or mm. or like what that feeling was. All I knew it was that it was uncomfortable and I was trying to find my way. So um, yeah, you're totally, definitely right on. There was that, you know, being kind of under the umbrella of, you know, what my mom, who my mom is and what she represents and being her, being her daughter, you know. Being her daughter and then also what it represents in 3HO and to be growing up in our community in general, like to branch. I have no idea what that means to branch out as a, what you were, what was brewing in you as a, you're, you know, as a recording artist, you have a public interface and there's probably this huge private life. And I know even within the teacher context of Kundalini Yoga, knowing from my dad and what I had to personally work through in terms of my mm -hmm. private public life stuff, you know, that I knew I was carrying from my upbringing. I can't even imagine what would be, that would be like to be a prominent musician like you, but to grow up under a large prominent musician called my mother. Mm -hmm that also is hugely influential in the creation of Kundalini Yoga manuals and teacher mm -hmm. trainings and, it, and it is deeply involved in all of those runnings because the level of responsibility as children that we grow up with to uphold that image, mm -hmm. much less being a public interface image as a musician that has mm -hmm. Aquarian Sadna CD, a Soperk CD. I mean, like people are in love, like with what you're saying, the image of you as yeah. this like perfect Sikh that's, you know, I don't know, you know, resuscitating yeah. oh, yeah. the mantras and calling in the perfect meditations and doing these 11, you know, you're the spirit voyage this and, and it's <laughs> wonderful, but as an artist, and if you're, this is brewing before all this breaks open, I'm trying mm -hmm. to give us some context because if growing up in Vancouver was quote good, it's good because mm -hmm. of the positioning and the privilege of your family. You got to go mm -hmm. to Montessori schools. You got to have mm -hmm. a, you know, a relatively um, diverse cultural context environment. That's wonderful. These things are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then at some mm -hmm. point, you know, you're obviously growing up in music from the time you're birthed. It's a mm. part of your whole livelihood. And then, you know, it sounds like in your later years, you go to India, 10th, 11th, yes. 12th. It sounds like that's your choice because it was my now choice, yeah. you're strong. You're already a Kundalini yoga 
teacher. So how come that happened? Because you're you're connected to people that are influential in the teacher training systems. That's not a new thing, right? My mom was literally teaching the teacher training and with this other wonderful woman, Dedham Carr at the time. And she, they were teaching it. And I, um, I was 13 at the time and I was listening to like, um, I was listening to Sonatum's music and she had come out with this beautiful album, Carry Us Home. And um, this track on there, the first track, the Golden Temple song, I remember listen, listening to it. I had never really been into like practicing Kundalini yoga or meditating really at all. It was always like, my parents never pushed me into it either. It was just like the thing that they did. I was just on the periphery of and, mm-hmm. And I listened to that song and I remember just falling in love with, with just the sacredness of the energy of, of the path that is Sikhi and that is the energy of the golden temple and the energy of like the real, like what I like to call medicine of this path that actually exists. It's so beautiful. And I fell in love with it. And I was just like, you know, it, it felt like a tangible thing that just made me feel so good. And I was like, I want to take teacher training. Like I want to dive deeper into that feeling. And so I did. And, you know, I took teacher training and it was great. And, and then, you know, I decided I was like in high school, it was public high school. You're like 15? Uh, yeah, well, I was 13 when I took teacher training, and then in, when I was 14, I was still in that public high school, so two years in the public high school, and then and then I went to uh, the DO when I was 15. Yeah, I decided, I just was like, because actually, it's funny that you did the, you did the podcast with Hargobin, because he was one of, I, I kid you not, he was probably one of the like he himself was probably one of the main inspirations for me to go to MPA because yeah because I remember like they would do MPA night at solstice and you know I was like I was like 15 at that time so I'd been seeing MPA night every year at solstice for years but pause okay yes hold this story in your mind don't forget But you're saying these things like we know what this is. So MPA okay. night is, so every solstice, so basically you grew up in B, uh, Vancouver, but every summer solstice, you would go to New Mexico. That's so right. from as young as you can remember, you would go to New Mexico for summer solstice, but mm-hmm. you're going to school back in, in, in Vancouver and you're not going to school. There's not even the conversation for you to just go to school earlier, just because you're being alive is was a big enough thing in your being right yes. to that not even come up and so really it was like mantra it was infusing in love it was like this concept that 300 it was just like pure love energy and all of the support systems needed to make sure yeah. you're thriving um yes got it and so and so you're going to solstice though every year this is a regular part of your life Oh yeah, and I loved solstice. I have such beautiful memories of going to, to New Mexico for for the summer solstice. I mean, it lasted. We were probably always there for about ten days every year, and I would like just meet. I would have friends, you know, my peers that I would connect with, who I still adore, and all over the world. That all over the world meet and see. And so yeah. what I'm saying is, so then at solstice, one of the nights 
MPA, which is Mitty Pity Academy, would like do a presentation, yes. right? To basically, um, basically like a good marketing campaign a bit. Yes. To see, like, wow, let me show you how amazing Mitty Pity Academy is and how wonderful yeah. the students are. And they would do different present different things, right? As as like demo things for that. And that's what yeah. you're referencing really fast here as MPA, yes, right? Yes, that's right. PA night. Yes, yes. So Sorry. everybody, <laughs> MPA night is MPA night. Yes. MPA night is the little quick commercial for Mitty Pity Academy that happens regularly at Solstice and the Yoga Festival. Because personally, I remember seeing this at the Yoga Festival, and it was so beautiful. So I was so beautiful. impressed. I loved so. I was like, wow. You know, I really I, like. That's why I'm pausing there because I distinctly remember this at the European Yoga Festival when I would mm -hmm. watch the Mitty Pity, uh, the Mitty Pity students do their presentations, whether it was the Bhangra or was it, whether it was them speaking or whether what, whatever it was, mm -hmm. it was always well done and, and um, I loved them. So keep going. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it was so inspiring. I mean, you watch what these kids have learned at MPA and of course, you know, now we know everything. We're starting to hear all the other stuff that happened at MPA as well. But yeah. there really was this, like, just I'd say the the discipline factor that you could like feel in what they, because like I know discipline it has its two sides, of course, which we've learned can be so traumatic when overdone. The over discipline, of course, but you know, there was also the beauty of what the discipline did offer, which I experienced when I went to MPA, but it's what struck me. So yeah, um, saying Hargob, you obviously saw Hargobind at MPA. Yeah, at MPA, yes. His presence or whatever he shared in well, it was enough to want to go. It did, yeah. It was specifically actually his, I don't even remember if he ever said anything, I don't know, but it was, <laughs> sorry, Hargobind. <laughs> you may have said something, I don't remember it. But um, no, but it was specifically watching uh, him do Gutka um, and like some of the other kids that he was doing, that were doing it at, at the time. But I remember he just had this way like of doing it that it was like, I just got this vibe that he was like remembering it from like lifetimes, like that he, it was just this like, watching him do it was like a spiritual experience for me mm. um, it felt like he just went right into the like zone of the both the art and the spirituality and the discipline of that martial practice that it was it was like a dance that to me incorporated I mean as an artist myself it incorporated this like spirituality art and discipline um, together, like the mist, like mystic spirituality, art and discipline into this one like show. And it just was like, I was like, whatever that kid's smoking, I want some of that. And so then it was like, and so, and, and I just, you know, some of my friends that I had known would, I watched them, I knew them before, and then I would see them go to MPA and see them come back. And all of them sort of had this like, I guess for better or for worse, kind of hardened core about them when they came back. And I witnessed it happen. And it was like, it was very appealing to me because I was like, whoa, like, and you know, of course I'm 
now hearing everyone's story, I'm like, oh God, some of that was just repression and you were just in pain and I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And, but you know, now it's like so horrible, but to, to think that that was, that was there, but I, but also there was just this like, they just kind of stood up straighter and they were just kind of like, there was this kind of like, boom, that they were, they were, the discipline had had a positive effect as well. And it was like, I, I really, I was drawn to that and um, I wanted some of that. What I'll add is that the discipline, that it may have brought a positive projection but not uh, necessarily a positive effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And what we're yeah. hearing more is that there's more to that, right? Like as we're feeling the, as we're mm -hmm. hearing more of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you though, a hundred percent in terms of this, the projection was just profound. Yes. Like I yeah. remember watching the, MPA and, and this there's excellence there's there's always beauty and excellence to me yes know? yeah oh so well put I love that yes um, but you know what's the story of creating you know these personas of excellence or these projections yeah. of like this is the way it is and yet the the story behind the scenes is actually terror or yes. you know, abuse on such levels that that the silencing takes yes. over and it becomes a, this stern this stern front you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally and i recognize that that being part of it as well and but also i noticed you know they're really i feel like in all in like real genuine beautiful practice of meditation and yoga and martial art yeah there is discipline that's required to, like you said, the, the excellence has beauty, you know, the excellence, we all did learn discipline in order to achieve excellence. And we learned discipline for the purpose of meditation, discipline for the purpose of practice of yoga, discipline for the purpose of martial art, and even, even music or dance and art, you know, it's like, but I feel that that discipline went like far overboard mm -hmm. in terms of like, and also, covered up you know a lot of abuse and trauma that was happening underneath of course but i feel like there was a certain amount of of uh, beauty that was represented and that was you know that was visible um in these in in, in us and 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 um and still very much is and in, in my opinion you know it's still ever present and everywhere and yet mm -hmm. i what I find maybe more challenging for many of us is to see beyond that. Oh, because, totally. Like, Which is happening big time. So tell us about mm -hmm. that. Like, what is it? Well, what does this felt like? Like, obviously, you've cut your hair. Yes. Not obviously. Obviously, people might be listening and they have no idea. <laughs> I should like, let me take that back. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. But like, what does it mean for for you? Like, give us some of that. So well, yeah, so, okay, so, you know, I went to India, I went to MPA, um, I was, yeah, like, I was touched by the discipline, I was impacted by the discipline, I was inspired by it before going, and then when I went, I was older, you know, I was 15, I wasn't like a little kid, like, where, 
you're just sent ripped from your parents and you go and even just being there is like kind of traumatic because it's so different from everything you've been raised with and like there was none of that for me because it was my uh, yeah yeah, I was just gonna say, like, we have the context of who you were okay. going to India. Like, you're going yeah. here in a whole different status than most people, to be really right. honest. You yeah, know? right. So, oh, so you know, yes, it's I true. I'm, I'm trying yes. to give that. I mean, at that time, you'd maybe didn't classify yourself in that way, but now yeah. we can look at it in understanding yeah. that your mm -hmm. experience of being over there is obviously mm -hmm. heavily influenced by who you were by that time being 15 yes, sure. you've done yes. teacher training at 13 i mean we're yeah. no we're no average kids growing up you know it's like <laughs> I, i'm saying that to really there's greatness in that like we're saying there's right. greatness in the discipline and there's also not greatness in the over discipline of that yes but yeah thing in terms of our maturity at 13 yeah. at 15 you going over there and also the the who you were in the community going over at 15. I think that made a difference, no, in terms of your- Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah, it did. But you know, when I got there, I was still just, I mean, I had, I knew a lot of kids there already. Like I knew a lot of, from from summer, going to the summer solstice um, celebration in, in India, I mean, sorry, in New Mexico every year, I already knew a lot of the kids that I was joining at Medipity Academy. Yeah, they're all your I friends. They're my friends already. Yeah, this is yeah. like you actually joining your your friends in my crew. I was like, oh my god, this is like exactly this is fantastic. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and awesome. good. Give us that context. Yes. Yeah. So that was great. I loved um, just yeah connecting with my friends there and and. Uh, you know, I was already super into Kundalini yoga. So like being in a room full of a bunch of other kids my age who were meditating and practicing is something I had never actually done. And it, it was so beautiful to connect with this practice that I already felt passionately about because I, I feel like I really easily connected in with just the true, the true essence medicine of it. You know, it was like, yes, it was my lifestyle growing up. Yes, it was, but it was also this very kind of mystical spiritual experience for me um that was very real you know that was non that was just not about the culture and not about you know who my parents were and not about any of that crap like nothing mm -hmm. it was just the beauty of the mystical like primordial spiritual essence of it that i adored and which is why i connected with the art of Gurbani so much that I was like, wow, I can invoke this medicine, this like sacred medicine of this practice and have this spiritual experience while also, you know, bringing my artistic nature into the mix. Like this is fantastic. And I went really deep into music, learning cl the classical, some classical Indian jog when I was there at MPA it touched me so deeply for all those reasons. I remember just sitting there in, in class with, with our, our uh, music teacher just tears streaming down my face listening to him just teach us and sing he would sing you know a mantra a shabbat and I would just sit there tears streaming down my face and he would just like look at me and saw how much it touched me and like would encourage that and, and taught me such beautiful music and it was so beautiful to have that experience with my peers there to just be like oh my god like wow my peers are actually having their own spiritual experiences as well. And, and it was like, it just, it was so, so 
so fun, you know, for me to experience that. And, but also, um, you know, and I was, we're also all teenagers and, you know, it's, it's so interesting hearing from, hearing from, you know, so many people who I was there with at the time and, you know, Hargobin being one of them and other people that I've heard on the Zoom calls, you know, from the, of everyone talking about their history. And it's like, wow, like I was there with them, but I had no idea that was going, that was what was going on be under the surface at the time. And one thing that was, that I found, you know, that I've had to really unravel over the years was this idea that we were like these special saintly children um, that were, um, you know, that what we were learning, we, we are learning to be sages of this world and, you know, we're so much better than everybody else out there. And these tools, you know, look, look at all the yoga students, look how thirsty they are for this practice. Look how thirsty they are. They're just in pain and this can help them. You're carrying this sacred medicine to give to them. They're all going to want it from you. It's your job. It's your mission to give it to them. So ride out there on your high horse as a, you know, as a shining, radiant, Kalsa person who is also carrying this sacred practice of Kundalini Yoga and it is now your job to teach it and to distribute it and to shine your radiance onto all who come. And that fed right into my, I'm like, well, hey, I've been raised as this princess in Vancouver. Sure, I guess that must be the way it is then. And, um, you know, I've and I guess yeah. it's, it's a lot, you know, and it's just like, okay, well then, but it was interesting because at the same time, I really did connect with the authenticity and sacredness of the essence of this practice. And I really did feel the true power of what it carries. Um, and I don't mean specifically Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan. I more mean just sacred practices in general that, you know, that, that, vibe, that kind of inner medicine vibration that runs through um the you know the Sikh lineage the whole Sikh faith you know the 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 Shabbat Guru you know the essence of like the beauty of the mantra and the Shabbat you know and the it's a medicine you know and it's like it's in the core of the practice and the lineage of Sikhi and also just in the, I just, I, for me, I always felt like Kundalini Yoga was just like a, almost like a way of, pra of practicing yoga in order to integrate the medicine of the Shabaguru deeper into my being. That's the way I always related to it. It was like, like, I felt like when I would practice Kundalini Yoga and then sing a mantra, it was like, boom, it would go like way deeper into my body and into my being. And to me, it was a medicine practice. It was a it was a humble practice. There's humility in that. That was, you know, that that's just, and I still feel that way, that there's a beauty to the medicine and the essence of of that practice. Um, and it's just, you know, but it's it was the other stuff. It was the cultural. Mm, dark twisty stuff that was under the surface it was yogi bhajan with the whole like there's the whole white privilege concept there's the whole or sorry white supremacy concept there's a whole like um 
you know, the whole like, oh my God, Yogi Bhajan, he's everything. He's our, he's like, you know, he's totally pure and everyone who speaks against him is a slanderer and, you know, Premka, oh, her, her word, her name was like a dirty name, right? At the time I remember, oh yeah, she came, you know, she came back, you know, you know, later and she, she groveled, you know, and she like, you know, Yogi Bhajan took her back in. She apologized. She realized the error of her ways. She just wanted attention. She knew he never really did anything to her. She just wanted attention. And it was like, look, I believed it. I believed it. I drank the Kool-Aid. All your life until when? Until 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 her book came out. I mean, like, well, you know, I kind of what I did later, I kind of just at the time I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. You know, these people who I look up to, like Jagat Guru and Sarasat Simran and you know, like Guru Singh, and these were all my teachers at MPA. And by the way, I adore them as human beings. I still do, and I fully you know, I don't think, you know, Guru Singh, I know, doesn't believe that, certainly. And I know Jagat Guru doesn't either, neither does Sasat Simran, and nothing against them. At the time, you know, we were all in a similar boat, you know, maybe they believed it at the time, and, you know, their opinion was changed later. I have total compassion for that. But what I mean is, I learned, that's what I learned was the truth at the time, quote, unquote, the truth at the time. It's like, you know, you should believe this. This is what you should believe that, you know. Okay, I, I think I'm a little confused. You're saying what oh, you were sorry. talking about in terms of the narrative that Premka's, you know, get, get the groveling back, all those, just all the narratives that we heard about whether it was yes. this or that. So you're yes. saying you believed it all the way up. You personally believed that all the way up until you read the Premka book, which was what, February, 2020? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although okay. it wasn't at, there's some gray area there in that yeah. I wouldn't say I believed that she was like to be horribly, to be horribly like crass and, a, you know, quote unquote, attention seeking slut, which was basically what we taught, what we were told that everyone who accused Yogi Bhajan of sexual inappropriateness or, or just brought up any truth about any underlying corruption in 3HO, yeah. um, you know, we were, we were taught that anyone who brings that up is basically an attention-seeking slut or an attention-seeking arrogant slanderer. Yeah. To be very crass and dramatic about no, it. No, it's very true. So you're just saying, <laughs> what I hear you saying is that the permeating narrative or the ethos, mm -hmm. as I call it, through, through mm -hmm. the community has mm -hmm. always been that. And other yeah. similar narratives of anybody who leads is a slut or uh, like a soul story around it. And it's not true yeah. for these reasons. Yes. Yeah. And all the things we've read in the AOB report and all that stuff. Uh -huh. um, but I, but I didn't, I wouldn't say that I believed that up until I read the book. When I say that there was gray area there, I more mean that I kind of, I just didn't really know what to believe and I just pushed it away. Hmm. I just kind of pushed the truth away and avoided it so that I could just keep my life a little more simple because there, you know, if I were to believe all at that time before the nut cracked, if I were to then believe all that, it would have meant that in my perception of my life, I didn't feel like I would have had any kind of a safety net 
to land on of like if I were to to have looked at the truth and been like oh shit like Yogi Bhajan was what that means like what corruption about my community that means what corruption and like is you know that's underlying and basically the community and the spiritual the spiritual global community that I've given my life to if I had then suddenly had to either speak out or keep silent about it right before everything had come out about Yogi Bhajan I don't know what that that would have been too much for me Hmm. so I think that you know kind of subconsciously I was just like I'll just push that away for now I just won't look at it because if I do that it would be too much. I would either have to speak out and be completely ostracized from my community or, you know, or um, I can just live a lie. And I didn't want to have to face that decision. <laughs> this is not consciously. I wasn't consciously thinking. All unconscious. This, this sounds yes. like you were describing earlier as the rumbling in you of, of yes. wanting to shift identities, but not even yes. knowing what that meant. Exactly. And that if you exactly. actually did that, you would be giving up your whole life support system and all of the indoctrination that comes with like, who am I without, who am I if there's another truth here, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. It was, and I wasn't, basically it would have been too much to have to, it's like, as soon as everything came out about Yogi Bhajan, I feel like everyone kind of banded together to create this like, hey, it's okay to talk now. And it kind of felt safer. And so it was like, as soon as it felt safer to actually look at everything, then I did. Um, And so, and that's when I was like, whoa, like, then it was like, whoa, like, why, you know, why am I wearing a turban? Like, why am I, it was like, what am I representing here? Um, It was kind of like, um, you know, I was, and of course, COVID hit too. So I stopped going to Yoga West and going to Gurdwara there and going to, which I had already started to be uncomfortable with because we we're singing like Song of the Khalsa every, every weekend, right? And I was like, oh, I can't sing this song even one more time. I can't sing. Um, I can't sing if the Khalsa falls, there won't be a world at all. I can't, I just can't even, you know, I can't even do it. And even back in like, January, February before COVID hit, or even January, December, I was still like, I would go out of the room when Song of the Khalsa would be sung, or when that line would be sung, I would just not sing it, because I was like, I can't even do it. Um, And because, so I was starting to be aware of it, but when the thing, everything came out about Yogi Bhajan, it just, it was just a process of like, just digging, just digging deeper, digging deeper, and like, the hard part was that and still kind of is that like all the like real medicine of it that kind of mystical primordial spirit feeling that i feel you know can is so powerfully uh stimulated in in within the practice of so so many kundalini practices and and also within the practice of sikhi and the mantra and shabbat and everything I still love that. Like, I'm like, no one can, it's like, I'm like, I don't, there's been a lot of talk about just, oh, like it's all BS or none of it's real. Or I'm like, I just don't like, I, it doesn't, I don't feel angry about that. I'm just like, I just, it's not my experience. Like I can't, 
look at what I felt deep in my bones as like a real, a real experience for me and say that that was fake. Like, that's not cool. That's me gaslighting myself, you know, like, that's not cool. Sure. And, I mean, you can't go against your own experience. My exactly. question is, my question is, how does seeing more and reading the stories and feeling people's experiences that have been silenced for so many decades and actually getting to the shadow, how has that rocked your lens of that experience? Because well, there is an infusion of you on one hand shared that narrative of like, yogi legends indoctrination of, of us as the supreme and that it's our responsibility to bring it like all of that doesn't go away because we're aware of it it's all infused in the teaching so like how are we actually dealing with the gravity of darkness that hasn't ever been allowed to speak into your life before you know well sorry i just my boys are down there and like one of them is crying. So I like my attention is like, <laughs> mom alert, mom alert. Yeah, mom alert. It's okay. My, my husband's with them. So I'm sure I'll be fine. But anyway, um, um, well, because you really painted a bit, like, I really understand what you mean by the primordial that like you're talking yeah. about essence of experience mm -hmm. but even within that. Oh yeah. There's so much indoctrination and it's oh, like yeah. the, the the crack like when the came out it gave you permission to read things that you had been wanting to and then how has that been for you like what how well, have you read that stuff like well it was people's stories and heard this for the first time and it broke your bubble well it was a process i'd say there wasn't like a moment it was a process of the bubble being popped <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah and it was you know because as a human being feel dealing with this my whole life it for the bubble to be popped on one moment my psyche wouldn't allow that kind of it was too much to pop all at one moment um so it was kind of a timed I feel like my psyche my like inner you know spirit who loves me created a bit of a timed release you know of the stuff coming you know trickling into my awareness and kind of I kind of only bit off what I could chew you know and um it was like um well at times it kind of felt like you know I lost gravity you know it was like just that my foundation had been rocked and I just wanted to stand on something and I didn't know what to stand on anymore. Um, that I had, that the only thing, what I had, what I had worked my whole life to create as my foundation and what I taught was my foundation of not only my emotional security, emotional and kind of physical security and well-being, but also my identity, my security in my own identity had been to had been kundalini yoga and sikh dharma so it was like if you know you exist to serve the mission of kundalini yoga and sikh dharma whatever is it's like if you're feeling insecure go do a meditation if you're if you don't know who you are who you are is uh you know a soul who has been blessed by the guru that's who you are 
and people would be like, oh yes, you know, you know, I love your music so much. And this is, um, you know, you're such, you know, it's all, you know, people would literally tell me, oh, you should just say it's all the goodest blessing. And, uh, you know, say it's just all the goodest blessing. And it's just, you know, it's like you only, it's like all, there's no goodness about you. All that's good is the good coming through you. And so I was taught that anything that's good about me, any love that I receive from anybody is just how good I am at channeling the guru, quote unquote. And that was my identity. Wow. So I felt very insecure. Um, it was, I felt very insecure because suddenly it was like what I had been taught was my identity. I suddenly found out the gravity of how much, uh, the gravity of how that, that kind of, that lie had hurt and abused so many people. That that lie, essentially, that, mm. because that lie, that like you, you are only good if you serve this mission, to me kind of represents the greater corruption. It's that's the whitewashing, that's the light washing. Mm. Like that to me, it's just this like we all related to Yogi Bhajan that way. That he was great, not because of his madness in any way, but because or not how, like not it wasn't personal, it was like his the way he presented himself was as a spiritual channel. And that's the only value that that's what he taught us was good. And he himself obviously was ashamed of whatever the hell was going on in his, like he himself was obviously ashamed of what he was doing behind closed doors because then otherwise he wouldn't be hiding it. <laughs> you know, he but was I don't hiding think that's it. the case. I don't think narcissists are ashamed actually, you know, I don't think that's uh -huh. really true. I don't think that's actually- Yeah, true. I guess you're right. That's I true. Think that right. actually feel empathy feel ashamed but i don't right. know if that's yeah, true. yeah fair enough no i agree with you but i guess what it, it created it created this environment of shame for being human um you know because he was it's like i'm not saying that that you know being a raping narcissist is being human just to Clear, just to clear the air on that <laughs> you know certainly like what I mean is like oh he was just being human he was being a raping narcissist no what I'm um, talking about is you're dissecting like on one hand mm -hmm. this and on another hand like I, I feel like you're giving us a glimpse like this is an active unwind for you yes well you asked how it felt so I'm describing yeah. how yeah, it I felt love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and because it was like that you that that yogi budget seeing yogi budget as this like he only exists to serve the mission that's what he taught us to only exist exist to to bring this medicine out to people that's that's your only identity and we related to him as oh that's that's his only identity too and meanwhile the hidden identity the the hidden part of what he was doing in his life in his like actual personal human side was horribly abusive and corrupt and like ooh, just like just all of this blah, 
horrible, dark, twisty crap. Sadistic. And sadistic. It's sadistic, yes. And yes, like just horrendous, right. monstrous, if you will. Yep. Horrible. And but what I'm saying is that like uh, the rejection of that, of everything that he was doing created an environment of rejection it also i guess i'll speak for myself i feel yeah. like it's a theme throughout the, the yeah. our dharma yeah. and our but my experience it created this um and I, i'm only saying that because i feel like a, you know it's been echoed in what i've heard from everybody but like from or just around <laughs> you know but just that um that it creates this kind of environment of whatever we are that's not that is not okay whatever we are that's not serving the mission and purity and light and everything is actually not okay right that um, becomes the permeating ethos yes right that like anything of that so don't bring it here don't talk about it here it's not safe here right if it's <laughs> not of the mission and of the light so to speak Yes, yes, exactly. And it's wrong. And you're, you know, it's like, oh, this kind of subtle, like, oh, you're, that's not right. No, you were right. What you were speaking before when you were talking about the truth of guru and dharma and everything, that was correct. But when you kind of talked about this other thing that was not very light, that was kind of twisty, like, you probably shouldn't talk about that. You know, you probably shouldn't talk about that. And, uh, and it's, it's just like, or, if I expressed a desire to, if I wanted to wear something that was kind of sexy, you know, I felt also weird wearing that with my turban. I was like, I feel like I can't wear, I was like, why am I, this is like clashing here. Like, I kind of want to wear this like sexy dress, but I'm not shaving my legs. And I'm also, I have this turban on. And even if, or even if my legs weren't exposed and it was like a long maxi dress or something, but it felt like sensual, like it's connecting with my inner, like feminine sensuality, yeah. but then I'm wearing the turban and I'm like, oh, this feels weird. It feels like I'm kind of disrespecting the sacredness of the mission that I'm supposed to be bringing. And that's what, mm. that was the feeling that really was the kind of first hole in my little lifeboat so to speak, where I was like, you know what? Why is it wrong that I should want to feel my own sensuality? Why is it wrong that I should want to be sexy? Why is it wrong that I should want to talk about, you know, you know, making my hair different and, you know, like I want to pierce my ears. Why is that? Which I have done, by the way. Did <laughs> you show us? Awesome. <laughs> How did that feel? You just uh, it was, your ears pierced for the first time when? Uh, it was like, you know, in October was when I pierced my ears, but I cut my hair in like June, you know. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> yes. The feelings of these things for you. It felt very freeing. Um, and, and I, yeah, it was very freeing because it felt, it felt like before I was like, there was this kind of part of me that was the rumble that we were talking about before, like oh. that I can't totally be, me and all the facets of me when I was also representing this kind of mission-oriented, service-oriented person. And so it's so so do you see I'm kind of tying it together a bit in terms of like the, the experience of like 
being that like oh riding on the white horse and like bring all this like just bring the sacred medicine because the the, the the thing was i believed it's 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 not the medicine that's wrong it's the believing that we existed to serve that and that that i existed to serve that and that my humanity wasn't also sacred in its own right because i am who i am and that this beautiful sacred medicine that has been given as a gift to help me experience that more, <laughs> not the other way around. Yes, yes, and yes, and so and so that's what it felt like. It felt this like I had to go in and detangle, detangle what is me and what was that like. I only exist to serve the mission. Um, cutting hair is evil and wrong. Um, eating meat is, um, you know, I don't, I still actually choose to be a vegetarian for the most part. I've started eating fish, which was also a very freeing moment. Um, personally for me, just for my own, like, you know, kind of choice. Free choice. Free yes. will. That's what it yes. is. Exactly. For your Thank own you. free will, you get yes. to experiment and make choices and decide, does this work for me or not? Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and then you may or may decide yes mm -hmm. or no, and you might do something for a while and then not, and then change and then change. Exactly, change but it's my choice, yes. yeah. Yours. So, that's, what it felt. that's what it felt like. I was like, well, and actually I did say that around the time, I'm like, it's not like whether doing it is good or bad. I'm trying to undo the good or bad conversation. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, it's not about good or bad. It's about being who I am. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, even with, you know, all my music and everything that I've given, I'm like, I don't, I feel still proud of it. And I still feel good about it. And it still is me. And I was very authentic in my offering of it. And I'm like, you know, and it's like not a but, but and I'm like, and I now have to kind of, it's been this process of the, like I said, the detangling of like, yes, and me, not but I'm me and I'm me, you know, <laughs> so, and I really the sensuality was the key. And I know that that's been a real theme amongst a lot of women who have spoken. But of course, not to mention like the fact that what brought this up was women speaking about they literally being victimized by Yogi Bhajan, being raped and being everything abused and manipulated and all the other horrendous things. You know, I feel like um, the the inner feminine. Well, kind of funny that the, the like we were all taught the core is like the princess core is the lioness right and like the the archetype of the lioness I'm like well you know if you go into the like medicine of like what lioness is it sure as hell is not light washing stuff <laughs> you know being a lioness is just like I am gonna be a huntress I am like you know it's like I am everything that I am and I'm eating my life and everything that I, ex you know, lionesses are not ashamed of their bodies. It's like, you know, I, and then it's just like, you know, I feel like there's this roaring of the feminine that is like, listen, 
you cannot say that humanness is dirty. Listen, like we've got wombs. We bleed freaking blood all over the place. Every If we didn't wear like something, the blood would be everywhere, guys. We grow babies in our wombs. We grow humans by having sex and then we birth them. And well, it's just about, like- How about even more than that? How about the clitoris is the only body part that's made for pleasure and no other reason but that? Oh, how about the fact that the feminine mm -hmm. teachings within 3HO have been disguised as like, like, like I feel mm -hmm. like, and I'd like you to talk here because you're, you're, you've been close to the teachings per se. I feel like feminine teachings have kind of been a sugar coat in our community, mm -hmm. but really a subjugation of the feminine and mm -hmm. it somehow has shown up as a persona of our masculine energy we, in order to even survive the experience of this level of training, if I might add, it we, we, we took on a level of masculine persona. I know I did. And mm -hmm. I had to really do what you're talking about is get my pleasure back, get my sexuality back, get connected to that. And that's been a long ass process personally. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically so on the point of the teachings, Mm -hmm. well it's, it's like it's um do you know what I'm saying I do I do know I totally know what you're saying absolutely and I have felt a lot of that in my life and to me there's a real um I tend to like to deal in archetypes that's why I've gotten really into astrology um which has been such a gift during this time I love it it's been so fantastic it's been really helping me through it it's been something for me to focus on so that I can kind of like not go insane <laughs> and um um i really i feel that there's a lot a lot of beauty that um was that was brought forth in the quote-unquote teachings with the of on femininity from yogi bhajan i actually you know my my mom yogi bhajan asked my mom to start a you know, Kulsa Ladies Camp in Vancouver. And um, he did, he always did his one every year, like a women's camp um, in uh, New Mexico, you know, every year after solstice where all the women would come for like weeks at a time. That's a whole other story. But then my, he asked my mom to create one that was shorter or just said create one, whatever. In Vancouver, my mom made it shorter. <laughs> She was like, I have children myself. They're not going to get away for like freaking eight weeks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you're like, she made it like five days long or whatever. And she herself has so much incredible divine feminine mysticism. Like she was always reading like women who run with the wolves and, you know, the red tent and like all of these beautiful divine feminine uh, texts and, and just like she was in it you know she created this women's camp and taught a lot of the teachings that yogi bhajan had taught on the feminine and um i that those camps with her were are some of the most beautiful incredibly empowering memories that i have um because the energy that was created at that time it wasn't about the the doctrine about what she was saying for me I just spent like the whole women's camp in my bathing suit. Like on the, we were, it was like the ocean was right there and I was swimming in the ocean and 
we'd dance and we'd like give each other foot massages. And it was very like, it was very just, just women loving each other and showing up for each other and practicing yoga and meditation together. It was very priestessy, you know, if you will. And I learned a lot of beauty from that, you know, the, you know, it's like, yes, there is the whole kind of like, to me, I like to think of it as the priestess archetype that we learned about the priestess archetype, which is very, um, sacred which is very mission-based it's like that she the sacredness of the feminine as a channel for as a bringer of sacred medicine as a you know as a, a as just right, using her beauty that was the veneer i feel like we got Though, and yeah, a lot totally. of context of like birthing and certain things but it's but like that's like that's like the overarching kind of veneer. And then depending yes. on the teacher, like your mom particularly might've got into the rent tent and really into the cycles and teaching, but as an overall teaching. Oh, for sure. As an overall teaching. Yeah. So, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to get to that okay. via kind of my own experience of it, okay. which is that I was a, like, the kind of, I learned about the priestess archetype via Yogi Bhajan's teaching like the the turban and the chuni and the grace you know grace, it's right. like the grace which i know has become a bit of a like repressive word and i totally agree with you and i, I feel that at all like oh well i don't think for i don't think it actually is but i just mean that it became that way be graceful you know right. it's like, what i what i'm hearing you say a lot Narendra, is you're jumping uh, into what we heard and learned uh, and then your uh, experience and i'm wanting to hear more about your experience, experience it, yeah it's more helpful for us to yes to, sure sure if that makes sense as yeah totally I feel like it's really easy to kind of go into an overarching way of understanding the way i'm i'm registering right. stuff but if we can does that if you can yeah. land it in your experience. Okay. That's, um, okay. Well, that's the just thing. A minute is that... ago, we talked about how you're mm -hmm. just now awakening to getting in touch with your sexuality and permission yes. of wearing yeah. sexy dresses, having mm -hmm. no turban and what yeah. that means. So what I'm hearing you do is paint a picture of the archetype of the priestess as a yes. context that gives us a lens that supports why Yogi Bhajan taught us about grace and the feminine as a channel for knowledge. Mm -hmm. I want to know how that lands in your body to have heard yes. that your whole life and yeah. then to read about sadistic abuse of friends <laughs> and women you know yes, and so have horrible. the exact yes. opposite be what he practiced Yes. And how well, I, that shows up for you, you know? Okay. Well, I mean, I totally hear that. It's just that in my experience of it, yeah, it was mostly, I experienced that his teachings yeah. taught what he taught, but through my mom, my mom was the one who taught me that stuff yeah. and she didn't teach it the way he did. She taught it her way. And so to me, I know that the general, the general kind of uh, curriculum, if you will, came from him, but I learned it from my mom and my mom taught it in a really different way. And my mom wasn't raping people. He was. And so like, you know, 
it didn't, it wasn't as destructive for me because I didn't really learn directly from him so much. It was more like, it was more like the way that my mom taught the curriculum that he provided, which was a lot more grounded and a lot more um, integrated into, into actually being a woman. Um, and so it wasn't cool. Huh? Because she was a woman. Exactly. <laughs> and she also is a very wise soul, of course. Mm. And, um, and so I really, um, and so what I'm saying is that my, actually the feeling that I was, my primary exposure to Yogi Bhajan's teachings on women, quote unquote, was at this women's camp that my mom put on and she taught that kind of curriculum that he gave in her way and so my experience in my body growing up there was actually one of grounded freedom um i loved being around women and just like I, I remember just, I loved being in the like showers and being able to just get naked and all together and like all the women being naked around each other and have just experience the, the beauty of our own body and how okay that is. And there were so many women that were just, these women who had come to this camp were not like three HO community women for the most part. It was women who just loved yoga and meditation. And I would hear from them and you know, we'd laugh and, you know, like just go into the ocean. And I remember we'd do, we'd like chant mantras on like a cliff by the ocean. And then it would be like a full moon and we'd go skinny dipping like in the ocean. So it was actually the te Yogi Bhajan's teachings on women. And, you know, we're kind of like a bit removed from the way I learned them from my mom. And it kind of was an experience of the integration of that priestess archetype and of the woman sensual body archetype the like lover beautiful like our bodies you know accepting our bodies for the, the way that they are and loving ourselves they were actually somewhat integrated in my experience okay and so i so i what's happening now for you then so what happened so what happened like, well what happened was i was um there was that was when i was young but as i started to become more sexually mature in my body it was more like that was at that point i was going to mpa right because i was like 13 when i started taking teacher training and then i went to mpa and at that point it was like okay well now um you know as a woman you need to be quote unquote graceful. And that means that you need to, you know, cover up your whole body and, you know, always wear white and wear your turban. And you, it's like, it's almost like yours, yours, my sensuality and sexuality and everything were only for behind closed doors. Everything in front of closed doors was for uh, being the priestess archetype. So in, in my childhood, I have this memory of the, the priestess and, and like, Venusian kind of archetype, the like real woman archetype as being combined. But as I grew up into sexual maturity, they started to become separated. Mm. And that's when I started feeling weird. Like I wanted to connect with my sensuality and my sexuality and kind of almost like be embodied like how I felt when I was a child. But I 
felt weird doing it with the turban on, or I didn't feel like there was space for that, for me to be able to be both as a sexually mature adult woman. Mm. And um, so I was just like, well, if I, I, I literally wrote this thing right before I cut my hair, where I was just like, I felt like, um, felt like as if someone, there was this kind of inner Venus inside me, Venus being like the goddess of love and beauty and romanticness and, and just all things like clitoris, right? <laughs> you know? And so uh, I kind of felt like someone had put a post-it note on my, on, on her forehead, which was like the inner, my inner Venus, right? Put a post-it note on her forehead saying, this is ego. And it was like, Oh, so Venus, so all my like feminine, like sexual, sensual power that I hold in me, that's actually ego, really? That's not what I feel like I know to be true from my childhood. Mm. You know, I'm like, I'm like, this is sacred medicine that is intrinsically woven in. There's no, to me, like, I've experienced both being so embodied and being so like, being embodied while like having the practice of kundalini yoga helped me to feel more embodied not just this like I feel like after I was sexually mature it kind of became this like out of body thing but you know when I was younger I was like no I know how these things meet they meet beautifully you know but they're not taught to me you know it's like the way the largely the way it was represented by yogi bhajan and the whole the way that as a whole right as a whole like global it's like they're not taught to me but in, i knew that they could i knew that they could but i still like i was like so anyway i but 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 i was like there's the post-it on venus's forehead my inner venus's forehead saying this is ego and i was like ah you can't call my inner Venus ego. You know what? I'm going to let her speak for the first time. She's, you know, since I was a child, she hasn't gotten to speak. She hasn't gotten to talk about, you know, she hasn't gotten to talk about what she actually wants. You know, I'm going to let her talk for once. And she's saying that she wants to cut her hair. So she's going to do that. You know what? Like, you know, and I was just like, I even felt like, yeah, I was like, she wants to cut her hair. So I let her, you know, me. And um, she wants to pierce her ears now. You know, she also wants to get a side shave. You know, okay. that's also what she wants. She wants a little edge, you know. <laughs> like, I'm not even just going to cut my hair. I want to shave a part of my head because that's what my inner Venus would like. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, and so I did it. And it was just like, ah, oh. then I wore like these like, you know, summer, I shaved my legs as well. And I was like, now I can wear uh, these dresses and, and feel like this is what I want to do. You know, nothing about what's good or bad. You know, I also have like absolutely zero judgment and full 150% support for any women who want to keep their hair. And if that is their choice of empowerment, if that's what Venus wants, do it, yeah. you know, but my Venus wanted to express herself in another way. And so I listened to her and I have not yet found um, the, the integration of the priestess archetype and my inner Venus archetype to uh, come back to, to totally merge again um, in terms of like teaching. I, I, I haven't taught Kundalini yoga since I cut my hair. I haven't um, really performed anywhere um, sung any more mantra music because I haven't yet found a way to feel comfortable in that environment 
mm. um, in the environment of, you know, the the kind of Kundalini Yoga Sikh environment, which is like, you know, it's you're either a priestess outside or you're a Venus inside. You can't be both on the outside. Um, mm. I haven't yet. I do feel that there is a way back in in my own way, and I do have faith that I will find that. Mm. Um, you know, in the way that feels good to me. Um, but I haven't quite found that yet. And I'm still on that journey. Yet, um, I must say, uh, my practice of astrology, like learning about astrology and starting the, you know, basically, you know, like I said, astrology based life coaching, like really using astrology to help do all this deep digging and helping other people to, to do the same with their own, you know, with the tool of astrology. Um, it's helped me feel a lot more empowered, um, like that I, there's something that I can do that makes me feel like I'm actually doing something useful and helpful and of value to people and of value to myself that is not associated with the Sikh and Kundalini Yoga world. It's like something that I found on my own mm. to do. Mm. Um, that's like when I chose me, and I chose Venus and I chose everything that I want. I also found astrology and decided that I really like doing that and that that works and it's really helpful to other people also. And so it's been really an empowering, it's, it's been a process of detangling so as to find my own empowerment, but also very specifically not to reject everything that I've been given because you see, I, it was some of my most beautiful experiences of my own femininity and my body were when I was a child and those two, you know, the, the technology of Kundalini yoga and, and, and yoga in general and meditation and, and mantra and Sikh practices, they're all interwoven in my experience of my being. I don't want to separate them. They, it, it gave me, it gave me so much. So it's really a process of unwinding and, and integration as opposed to doing this or doing that. I just, I'm giving it all some space. I'm giving it all some space so I can figure out as I live my life, how to integrate it all in a, in a good way. I want to really just honor you in um, the willful choices you're making and also just the, the framework you're offering yourself as a, like almost like a form of self-care to navigate um, things you know to be true for who you are and mm -hmm. like I, I hear that kind of like ringing so loud like your unique experience of your earliest childhood rings has a different resonance than maybe the community ethos as a totality that yes. might have had a lot more rigidity and masculine um, yeah. subjugation of the feminine. Um, yeah. That if, especially if maybe the the director of their ashram was a male archetype that mm -hmm. was copying the formula of more the yogi budget energy directly, as opposed to I don't know your mom personally. I know I've listened to you and her on mantra CDs and stuff, but mm -hmm. I do know that. Um, I just want to honor that as your ex lived experience because it's mm -hmm. such an important lens you're offering here that you had this kind of like unique kind of earth bodied experience of you in your body. And then you, you described to us how like when you went to MPA and as you kind of came into your sexuality and kind of like into, I, if I might add the 
larger ethos of the community instead of just yes. your nuclear family princess experience mm -hmm. growing up mm -hmm. with your amazing household and all that that came with that. Mm -hmm. that you started noticing the separation that maybe a lot of other stories are representing more fully in terms mm -hmm. of like a sense of like repression and abuse that maybe you didn't even notice existed until mm -hmm. all this came forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, the thing is, I did notice that I did feel it, but I kind of pushed it away. Yeah, like you were saying, pushing it yeah. away to make it okay, because the mission was more important than what you were yeah. feeling and needing. Exactly. And you painted that really well for us today, too. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to mirror that back and just honor you for that, because I think it's more than a lot of us got that, I, you know, we all got that mission energy, but as a daughter of someone on a particular mission of that through mantra and connection to you know all of that represents you served as an extra level of channel of right. mission as uh -huh. the deliverer of the mantras right. the community so yeah. i thought that growing up and i wasn't a songstress and anything in this capacity so i just again i'm mm -hmm. honoring you here to say to choose you mm -hmm. to make some of these choices is just a beautiful thing to witness. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it can also, change and you might choose new things and it might yeah. just, and I think all that's beautiful in all the expressions. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I also want to add that there's a real, there's a distinctly another level of um, that there's this in me and also I sense and I know that in the community as a whole there's been this fear of the shadow right fear of the shadow of like of and when I say shadow I just mean like the real non-light washed feelings uh, the uncomfortable conversations the vulnerability the, the you know anger. things that the, the what anger yes, the feelings that you're like i'm not allowed to feel this what do i do with yes, this what do i do with it exactly and i i must say that there's been a real a distinct thing that's been happening ever since even before the nut cracked where remember i was like well i want like i want people to feel i don't want like to interact with people as the princess songstress right like i want to interact with people as me I want to have uncomfortable conversations. I'm all, I've always been all about the uncomfortable conversations, right? It's like, like, I'm like, oh, I, and I found myself, like, there's a whole, like, Premka Facebook group that was, like, during, I'm sure it still exists, I'm not a member of that group anymore, but um, that when it all came out, there's, like, on the, like, Premka Facebook group that existed, the Pamela it's beyond the, the cage now. Beyond the cage, that's what, okay. Oh, beyond the cage, that's what. still supporting a lot of people in its ways. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Well, I left just because, anyway, it was, well, I had some bad experiences on there, but that's a, that always happens on Facebook. But anyway, what I was going to say is that um, it was helpful. I really, that there was a choice. I made the choice to dive in to the, um, there was a, it's like, there was a choice happening. It's like either I could 
choose the light washing and choose to ignore and choose to stay in my cushy 300% love kind of situation, which was not, which I was slowly realizing was not true. You're saying back in March, right? Like back in March. Yeah, when back in, yeah, back in March. It was like, well, and even before that, in the fall before that, it was like, I was slowly realizing that, like, that the kind of, uh, the kind of, you know, golden light washed princess thing was like, really not the whole story. Not that it wasn't true, actually, that's incorrect. It was true, but it was not the whole story. Not complete not complete and it was just like you know what i need to hear the whole story and that was so helpful reading pamela's book and hearing also people's uh everyone's you know true stories and all the uncomfortable conversations it's like you know what i choose all of this real you know dark painful but real stuff any day over all of the light washing and that it's like, it's like, please make me feel uncomfortable because that's better than the lie, you know? And it's just like in, and also I feel like even with, it's like the sacred, we are sacred humans. And if we want to claim to offer anything sacred, we have to be able to hold the whole picture, the darkness and the light, the shadow and everything within us in order to offer proper, like in order to offer this medicine in a way that's actually real. And so I'm like, well, what the hell are we doing if we're not like, if we're not having uncomfortable conversations, none of it is do as anything without also eating up the darkness you know what i mean by eating it up i mean like not segregating your vegetables and your dessert on your plate <laughs> it's like eat the whole damn thing yeah and, and i see yeah. you taking those steps in your life like i want to make sure we're not i'm not glorifying or we're not glorifying somebody choosing to cut their hair or not like any choice oh, is is a is wonderful and and what what i think i really want to point out here is that it's not about like you're saying the right or wrong. It's about no. you letting more of you show up and be a part of a conversation with yourself to yes. say why, you know, what does this mean to me? How do I feel about this? How does this feel inside me and having mm -hmm. more of your expressions? Um, and yeah. that's valid because growing up the way we grew up, we didn't get choices. We were a part of something where it was just the way it is. And, yeah. and not only that, but then there was a lot of shame and cultural abuse as a totality for making choices outside of that zone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How has that been for you and your family? Like how have your parents taken to you choosing and your children choosing to cut their hair and make that choice now and 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 to just let more of your own venus as you're describing it show up in your life like how is that showing up in your real everyday relationships because well my my husband and my children were all totally on the same page totally everything's on the same page and we've been my husband and i have been both seeing this amazing therapist and um, really diving deep and she's helping us to detangle mm. all of the detangle the twist you know the programming and the indoctrination from what's real that's really the name of the game for this whole process it's not what's right or wrong it's what's real for you 
and right. it's changing the tables of like I exist to serve the mission or I exist in my life to be who I am and these tools that I've given in this technology is there to serve me in that and to empower me in that and however that looks for anybody else is perfectly exactly as it needs to be for them but yeah with my with my family it's been totally great with my my parents it was a little rough with them when I cut my hair <clears throat> it was painful for them they don't I wouldn't say they agree with my choices I wouldn't I don't get the feeling that they really understand completely mm. uh, which is okay you know but they I still see them a lot we still talk all the time they love me they've accepted me for everything that I do and they support me and they're getting excited about the astrology work that I'm doing and you know sending you know being like you know being like hey you know oh yeah my daughter she's doing that and you know it's like they're really, still really supportive of me how yeah. have your mom and and, and dad um, and father handled the the nut cracking as you said of our community oh it's been excruciatingly painful for them of course um you know really hard um how can it not be you know but they've read they, it they're paying attention like, oh yeah they've read it they're paying attention they are definitely not quote-unquote deniers of it all okay. they totally um know that it all took place they they accept it all as truth and they basically my mom i mean my, yeah both of them are still just like you know they have felt the the benefit of what you know, Kundalini yoga as a practice has offered so many people and how they feel on a daily basis, how just genuinely and authentically helpful it is for human be for human beings who have come and to receive, to just do it, to do practice it and to feel it in their body. They, they see how helpful it is. And they're like, why would we, they, they have not stopped teaching Kundalini yoga and that's primarily what they do. And it's been really hard for them, of course, to just because that she was their personal teacher, right? And like, oh, it's been it's been so painful, but at the same time, they're like, well, you know, actually, my mom has a fantastic way of looking at it. What my mom said is, um, I was talking to another friend of mine who was like, who was like, oh but as like someone who's you know a quote-unquote feminist like which my mom is like as someone who like stands for for women and for women's rights for women's bodies and for women's beauty and for like everything for feminine empowerment i'll say um there you know it's like well how could you possibly continue practicing this yoga after you you know knowing that your teacher was a rapist and a sadistic sadistic narcissistic like monster you know <laughs> but uh you know and my mom's like you know what this yoga has been like this practice everything that he taught for me has been empowering and healing and helpful and not repressive at all i was repressed before this helped me get unrepressed you know <laughs> and she's like and I've seen it be so helpful for everyone else. And this is what I've devoted my life to. This is my practice. This is my life's path. This is how I have chosen to live. This was my choice. When she says, this is so great. She's like, and I will not let any man and his stupid decisions take that away from me. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, 
to me, that's just like, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, you do you. If you want to keep teaching Kundalini Yoga, yeah, like, that's your thing, you know, mm -hmm. you do it then. And she's not raping anybody. She's not teaching any of these repressive things. I mean, maybe it's coming through, you know, it's unfortunate she's a human being. Maybe some of the repressive, you know, quote, teachings, quote unquote, are coming through. And I, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't stand to say that that's impossible or that that's never happened because I'm sure it has. And, you know, I'm sure people have had, you know, negative experiences, whatever, but, and that's fine. That's, but overall, I'm really proud of her and I'm really proud of my dad and just their, their courage to just, you know, face the truth and also continue doing what they feel is right and empowering for them and everyone that they're teaching. So, yeah. Uh, and just do the best they can, you know, right. To, um, yeah. are they, are, um, I don't even want to ask that question. Actually, I don't want to ask about them. I want to ask about how you feel in terms of like the teachings going forward. Um, because on one level, there's, you know, the, this essence or medicine that happens in the transformation of a person within their own experience, but the actual process of how teacher training works within our community, oh, yeah, no, is spread with certain levels yeah. of plenty of indoctrination in it. So as much as your yeah. unique expression, how do you feel about that? Because how does this I feel, go forward, really? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I feel that there's, I feel that there's a lot that needs to change there, um, and I feel, yeah, I feel that there's, I feel that there's a lot that needs to change there in the way that teacher training is offered, and exactly as you said it, the kind of programming that kind of exists subtly, like the the teacher student like thing and you know the, the kind of hierarchy of teacher student that's wrought with just inherent like it's like at the same time the boundaries are really important and the ethics are really important but it also creates there's also this other side effect of like of like the teacher is above the student and when you're a teacher you have students and then you know that's it like you know, there's a hierarchy and they look up to you and they're down there. There's this separation, this inequality, yeah. which I feel simultaneously is really important to create an ethical boundary, of course, but also um, in the hierarchy. I feel that hierarchy can very quickly become a problem um, in terms of just the like, you know, the way we worshiped Yogi Bhajan, it's kind of like, well, everyone who's a Kundalini yoga teacher and chants Om Namo Namo gets on stage, they are now a channel of the golden chain and and now they are higher, you know, and it's like, it's like, whoa, whoa, like whoa. That's that's. Permeated, you feel like that's permeated through the teachings as kind of a regular essence? Uh, just, I would say the kind of attitude of hierarchy of like the kind of light washing and being like, you know, that I'm not, I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, I'm not a person, I'm not myself, I'm a teacher, right? The teacher's oath. While simultaneously, I think that's beautiful because there is a kind of, like there's that priest, priest slash priestess archetype again where you being a divine channel, right? But at the same time, it's like, well, let's not go overboard with that and reject our humanity and reject our actual need as humans to actually have friends. Like, does that mean that like, if you're a teacher in a community that you can just never have friends again? Because if you taught everyone Kundalini Yoga, they're then your students and you can never again have friends. It's just like, 
you know, it's just like, come on guys, let's just also look at our humanness and be human and like not put everybody up on a pedestal and not put the quote unquote teachings up on this pedestal. Is there Kundalini yoga is the best thing ever since sliced bread and all the other yogas are below it and blah, 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 blah. Well, and also that therapy is not needed. All you need to do is oh, yeah. oh, that's a big That too, thing. exactly. But how about all of the yeah. quotes? Like everything from my understanding when I was did teacher training as well as went to festivals, yoga festival, um, or whether it's solstice, you know, it's the, the hierarchy is a part of the ethos of the training network. So like that's oh, exactly. a very complex thing to exactly. detangle. Like exactly. we're talking about our personal detanglement, but to detangle some of the infusion of what I'm calling predatory behaviors in the teachings mm-hmm. is very complex okay. because while there might be some essence of excellent medicine as you're calling it there's also a web of piety and 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 appropriation and like quote Mm -hmm. unquote of dehumanization and kind of escaping like what do we do with that and how do we oh god i think it, it needs to be changed i mean it needs to be figured out it needs to be shifted it does and but i just feel like it's it's going to take time. I just feel like it's got to be like one thing at a time, you know, and that's also one of the reason why I haven't felt like I want to that you can get back into it. Yeah. Because I'm like getting back into it means just accepting and representing all of that other corrupted ethos that does exist that I don't agree with. And I don't, I refuse to represent that. I don't want to represent that. That's another reason why I haven't gotten back into it. Um, and I, that does need to shift. And what I mean, I do know a lot of people who are finding their own way within that, you know, that are not, that are kind of not, not uh, participating in that, that all that corruption, uh, all that kind of that negative cultural ethos, as you're calling, I like that word ethos, it's really good. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. I feel like there are a lot of people who are finding, starting to find their own way, not in that. So, you know, it's not black and white. It's not like it's either this or it's nothing. It's like, well, the gray area is forming, you know, lots of people are kind of doing it their own way and feeling out how they want to offer, offer, you know, Kundalini yoga, just in a way that feels with, it's not like, and all that stuff. And it does need to change. And as far as I'm concerned, it will, I just don't think that it, maybe I'm just being overly, uh, overly twinkly eyed about it, but I feel like we're good at that. Yes. Yes, we are. We are good at that. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, have, I guess I do. What? <laughs> Let's give credit where credit's due. We're <laughs> really good at that. We're <laughs> really good at being twinkly eyed we about stuff. the light well. <laughs> we, yes, that we do. I must say, but you know, I, and there is a beauty to that, you know, and there it's is amazing. <laughs> there is a beauty to that because there's a beauty in like that, like, you know, that I really feel that I hear it's like, you know, why did all of us show up on these Zoom calls to tell our stories to this first generation people? Why? Because we actually, there's so much love there. It wasn't just to be heard. I felt like there was this underlying love there that many of us actually were 
impacted positively by the medicine that was offered and like impacted positively by the relationships that we had with so many beautiful, loving, wonderful first-generation people. We're like, guys, it's like, we're like, we are holding the, the, the light in a way that we're like, guys, we believe in you. <laughs> we actually love it. And so there's, we love the essence of it and, and who you are and of what you offer. We believe that it can pull through, um, you know, and I still believe that, but personally. We'll love you right there in all of the heavy places and all uh -huh. the darkest places. And it's like most yes. of us haven't had the experience of being witnessed in our darkest and, and most non-together place and be totally unconditionally loved, right? So to yes. show up in that place is like, oh my gosh, how, like you said, how can you be an Indian, have a completely different experience and somebody had a horrific abuse story and, and mm -hmm. you were friends the whole time. Like this mm -hmm. happened among so many people mm -hmm. that were born in our community because we weren't allowed to talk about things that weren't in the light. And here we want to say, we love you and you're seen and you're held and you're heard and it's important. It is, yeah, and but also, I mean, totally. Oh my God, it, that's so important. And also, I just feel this beauty of, you know, the a lot of us second generation folks, even everyone who has been like horrifically abused and had this horrible trauma, even so much of those people have shown up to tell their story, but not just to be heard and seen, yes, largely, but also I feel out of the love even for their parents and their like family of people it's like even people who like you know like left ages ago who had horrifically traumatic experiences 20 years ago and they left they're coming back to tell their story out of love for everyone who is still in it profound you know it's it's yeah. so beautiful and so like you're saying we're good at that we're good at holding the light it's like yeah we are it's because we are like hold out hope we're holding out hope for the love of because i feel that there's this knowledge that we know there's this feeling that like i mean i know i'm like i know the medicine so much of that like inner medicine is beautiful i don't want to see that go away i don't want to see like all these first generation beautiful people who are trying their best who like screwed up and like accidentally abused people or not accidentally, you know, there's also a lot of that, but you know, like, I don't want to see them right, like humiliated or right, were complicit through their own ignorance or, or, yes, or their own experience of not paying attention. And it's like being able to hold everybody in exactly their experience. Yes. That there is this abundance of love at love and light. And yet we're also willing to now talk about the things we've never been able to and hold all of us. We're holding the, the life and the death. We're holding the light and the dark. We're holding the pain and the pleasure, which are really all, it's all one thing that's called life. And it's all one thing that's called love. And we're learning to hold it all together. And I just feel that the things like one thing that I learned, one fantastic thing that I learned from actually that my therapist said recently, she's like, the thing is, when a lot of love comes to be present, then all the things that are not love float to the surface to be dealt with. And so it's like, 
as far as I'm concerned, when it's starting, when it's safe, when it's safe. And I feel like it finally got to that point where the trauma and all the like this stuff that was like, like that we weren't all the, all the kind of, uh, all the pain came to the surface to join the love, the, the whole the love hole mm. if you will it's like everything and that love hole encompasses like all of the pain and all of the pleasure and all of the ecstasy and all of the like horrible perverted stories that happened all to kind of like encompass one big thing that is life that we now have to move forward with and you know that we're talking about the ethos the negative kind of cultural ethos that's kind of what i mean that as we now that we've brought all this to the surface i just don't think that that can exist really like as long as everything is being pushed forward i think the stuff that's not working is i feel like is just going to fall away um i feel like it's not going to well, be able to survive I think that the, the complexity of it is that not everybody's in agreement with quote, what's not working. Not everybody well, not yet. on the, yeah, exactly. So it's like yeah. being willing to create more spaces where we're bringing forth the conversations mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. um, and you know, it is, but for me as a one who taught Kundalini yoga and really mm -hmm. like you, like really loved my lineage, like in mm -hmm. a way I was just like, you know, and there was a yeah. part of me that had really dissected so much of stuff that wasn't in resonance with me, but ultimately I still felt this responsibility to uphold my lineage and to yeah. not disrespect the teachings. And even yeah. though I didn't in my everyday life wear a turban, I had already cut my hair. There were so mm -hmm. many levels. When I taught, yeah. I almost felt it was like a mission responsibility to yeah. represent in a certain way mm -hmm. to uphold something and that doesn't just dissipate easily and and yeah, I know it's a sense of responsibility and it's you yeah. and so like what we're seeing i think the reason i'm saying this is because you've painted a very beautiful picture on some ways of how much quote you know kundalini yoga is a medicine and how much it's helped but i also really want to give listeners just the 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 looming understanding that it's so important that we're dissecting what that means and we're we're doing we're reconciling that within ourselves because mm -hmm. as a machine of a teacher training system yeah they're more likely to push it forward without dissecting it fully because mm -hmm. it's a money-making endeavor within our own selves mm -hmm. our ability to show up and teach if we're going to do that authentically we've got to really be reconciling these these things in ourselves and not just oh, yeah. as a body of work we can't just yeah. as a body of work in and of itself we have to be willing to break this stuff apart and say yeah yeah you know what i totally agree with you totally on the same page and honestly i think i mean i think a lot of people feel like there are some people like in our community that really feel a calling to just like get in the trenches and uh, you know kind of fix what's wrong and like really bring it back into bring it not back and bring it into a new frequency that is that is uh, 
working, you know, that is not that, you know, all the repression, that's not the hierarchy, that's not the abuse, that's not the all the other words that you mentioned so well. I loved all the <laughs> words that you used. They're so right on. But well, that's and, inspiring and, to but, me because I don't know that that's true. Like I'm hearing you say that. Oh, there are totally so many people who want to fix that and who want to fix it. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel that it will be. But the problem is the first gens are the baby boomers. They are the baby boomers. Anyone who listens to this who knows astrology, they're the like Pluto and Leo people. They're the like, they're the star. It's like they, they, what they represent is just like, this is what we did. We already broke out of a shell. Now we're doing it. Mm. It's hard to like, they don't want to let go of what they have found to, to work. The way that they have found for it to work is what they're doing. And we're like, it can still grow more. They're like, we're done growing with that. <laughs> it's like, we're no, we're, we're done changing. This is good enough. It's fine. It works. It's stable. Let's just keep doing it. And it's just like, personally, I don't have the desire or energy to fight them on that. Um, and like, yeah. And speaking, I mean, with my parents, like, I love that they're offering what they're offering. I don't agree with like all the ways, all those, the things that you mentioned, the kind of negative parts of it that I do feel are still, you know, represented, but they're doing their best, right? But I know that in order, if I were to go in and try it, like if I were to go, if I were to say, which I have no desire to do by the way, but if I were to go in and be like, guys, step aside, you know, I'm now gonna figure out a way you know, to do this that feels like it kind of doesn't do any of that stuff, they would totally not go for any of that. Like, I know that the way, like, I have this, I have, I've really embraced Native American medicine ceremony and um, praying with this, like, sacred pipe that I have, and I, like, love it, and it's so, such a beautiful practice for me, and they're totally not into it at all. And it's just, and I'm like, that's fine. I, it's just like, I don't, I'm not gonna go in and try and fight for something. Like, I'm like, listen, guys, like, I don't agree with it, but I don't have the energy to fight you on it. I don't have the energy to like, try and convince you of all the things that aren't working. It's just like, I, as of right now, I'm like, I'm gonna take space from it. And it's, I mean, Fair enough. It's a little like wimpy, sure, but I don't care. I'm like, this is not my priority. Not wimpy at all. <laughs> but I do want to acknowledge that that might have been your training growing up. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It is definitely, you don't want to fight for the mission. I'm like, you know what? I just don't. <laughs> I just want to do what I am resident to do. I you, want to you know, you're so right. It's exactly, yeah. I, you're right. It's not wimpy. It's I just make it I want to thank you because, you know, we don't have to get into the whole team. I want to uh, just validate that you don't have to want to get into that conversation because neither do I. And thank you for the lens into the fact that there are young, you know, uh, an infusion of people that are wanting to make change. And, you know, I, I just hold that in the light. I really do, because mm -hmm. um, I feel like if those kinds of conversations start happening, there is really excellence within this body of work that can be same yeah. per se but um yeah, the complexity sure. of doing all that i don't even want to oh. touch the 10-foot pole 
Um, yeah, right. It's like, no, <laughs> someone else can do that. Good job, guys. But I love yeah. you all. I love, no. So um, <laughs> anyway, that's not our conversation, but thank you for giving us a, a piercing lens into that from, you know, your lived experience and, mm -hmm. and all of it. I just think it's awesome, you know, to like to be exercising free will and to be feeling what that means and to um, be discovering yourself. Like it is, I'm witnessing you as like a discoverer of, of your own being almost. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your song as we move into wrapping up, um, why you chose this song. Oh yeah. Well, you might want to listen to the, they might want to listen to the whole thing kind of on their own later, but yeah, it's, um, I was watching this show, Dear White People uh, on Netflix. Some of you might, yeah, it's so, so good. I really enjoyed it super eye-opening and um, really touched me. And in one of the scenes, this song was playing. Um, it was right after, I think his name was Reggie or something. He had that like scene in this, like where he was like a cop pulled a gun on him, like in a party. And anyway, it was like later he was with the main character in the room and they played this song and it was like so impactful for me. I was like, what is that song? Oh my God. And I looked it up and I listened to it and I listened to it like, probably like 20 times over and over again. I was just crying and it was like it was so cathartic for me because it just to me I mean I know I I think that the song I think I don't actually I haven't researched the history of the song but it, to me it I feel like it's about more about like being a black person in society you know it's more about like that kind of journey of race but I wasn't listening to it necessarily with that I mean, I was actually in the beginning, it really gave me a hit of kind of, it was like a hit of reality, like what it means to be a human being on this planet, like with all the pain, like just feeling, even watching that show when I watched that documentary 13 and feeling just the human pain of what um, black people have had to endure um, and just what they still have to endure and just f feeling the reality of that and just being hit with it. And I guess it just, it hit in with my own experience of coming into reality, you know, and taking the wool out from behind my eyes and like the very, the pure human catharsis of, of embracing the pain and seeing through, seeing through the veil of, of, you know, of like, society's opinions or you know 3HO's opinions or just the misogyny and the racism and everything that exists in society like seeing through it and embracing the pain and embracing the shadow side of everything and just coming into being human to me that's what this song makes me feel and I, I love it I listen to it all the time I'm like oh right being alive right oh yeah oh right being in this body <sighs> So before we cut to your song, which um, for everybody, we did start an Uncomfortable Conversations uh, Spotify playlist. So when you can't listen to the whole song on this episode, you get to go and listen to this playlist and you can actually um, listen to the song in its entirety, which we know our guests only bring songs that have some meaning and um, life story for them. So be sure to check that out. Um, what do you want to leave listeners with? Anything you want to wrap up with? Uh, uh, I guess I would just 
say thank you for listening for one thing. I know we've been going for a while. If you made it this far, thank you. <laughs> and um Look, it's been lovely. Just, what? It's been lovely. It's good. I'm glad me too. It's been so lovely talking to you, Ganeshan. And I'd say just, you know, I guess to leave listeners with uh a, a, a desire for myself and um that I just that kind of a twofold thing that I just to state to myself that I have a desire to forever keep um, facing, you know, facing my own shadow and getting to be better of a human being um, in every way that I possibly can. And, and I want to, and in that, you know, by facing, by feeling the whole picture and facing the things that are hard. And um, I just, you know, would love to see, I just, it makes me so happy to see that in however anyone else is doing that in their life, that I, I'm right there with you and I support you and in that process. And also um, just a request for forgiveness for myself and for anybody else, you know, as, as all of us, as myself and for anyone who moves through this process that recognizing that we're all human beings facing our own our own pain and our own crap and you know our own we all feel the same human feelings and it's not easier for anybody or harder for anybody all the, the feelings are all the same feelings that we're having to face you know and to just forgive each other for missteps and forgive like just to please forgive me for any time I misspoke or any anything that I have not yet uncovered um you know, because I'm also dealing with my own version of the hard feelings that are hard to face mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, in my own way. And just please forgive me if I, if any of my words, you know, are hurtful or just miss the mark in any way and trying my best. <laughs> Narendra, it's such a privilege to um, be allowed into your process. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're not coming here um, saying you've got it figured out, but you're giving us a glimpse into what it means to not have any of it figured out and just to kind of feel yourself along the way. And um, mm -hmm. I appreciate that because it's a really vulnerable thing to do. Mm, and, we don't, and we don't know what, what, what we're actually, you know, we're just doing the best way. And it's just beautiful, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I also feel so honored to be on this podcast with you and to talk with you. And I really love what you're doing. I think it's just so important. I'm so glad you're doing it. Yeah, and you really have a beautiful talent for like, just doing it well in an organized fashion, fashion, really listening and creating a really great like synopsis of what you've heard. It's very good. You're very good at what you do. <laughs> I appreciate that, you know. It's, uh, for me, it's just quite a service because I, I can't, our community means so much to me, you know, the people of our community. And it, there's just such this, un, this is interesting bond that takes place that I've noticed in my own sensory body as I've healed that no matter what generation no matter whether I've met somebody or not there's this you know weird interconnectivity that mm -hmm. I love and yet mm -hmm. in the, the pain and the hardness and the beauty and all of it I learn and grow and it's it is therapy it's a part of my self-care to support others in this process and what a uh, thing you know 
It's so beautiful. I can totally understand that. I really understand that. And it's so helpful to everyone involved. Yes, yes, yes. And may that ripple out to, to, to many more ears and bodies and cells. So without further ado, I want to share your song. Um, and again, for copyright persons, we won't be playing so much, but feel free to listen to the podcast uh, playlist. And I see you running into the world With your bad yellow jacket You look lost You look lost I see you running into the world With your bad yellow jacket You look lost You look lost You know This has been another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. I want to thank our guest for today, Narinjan. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Totally my pleasure. Thank and again, you. if you want to uh, be in touch with me, you can connect more with me at gurunishan.com. If you're interested in sharing your story, uh, please reach out to me at gurunishan.com. Um,